0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Hey, good afternoon everybody. It's so good seeing you despite the snow. So welcome, welcome. Hey, I just want to mention uh, those trips, these mission trips that we, we just showed you all about, there's 12 of them. 12 mission trips where you can use your wide and varied gifts and graces and those even weird skills um, to serve someone, to serve people in need to serve and share the gospel in places where the gospel is not being shared. So make sure you prayerfully consider serving and signing up for one of our short-term mission trips. Um, my name is Jonathan. If you don't know already, I'm one of the pastors here. And I just want to give you an update on our campus pastor search. Um, it's been two months, and some of you are like, what, we haven't had a campus pastor for two months? Yes, we haven't had a campus pastor in two months. And um, I'm going to share it in, you know, just being transparent, because that's what we promised to do during our search, to be transparent, as transparent as we possibly could. Um, we've hired a national search firm we've hired a local search firm to do a search for a campus pastor, okay? They are looking over, you know, just picking up rocks and nook and crannies here and there. They are searching high and low for a campus pastor, okay? Um, and so, you know, the results of that, it's simple. We haven't had any results, right? No, no campus pastor yet. And so, we had three possible candidates that rose to the top very quickly, but they also withdrew very quickly. So, Um, you know, that, that's kind of where we're at, but we believe, and we know that our God is faithful, right? Right? Amen. All right. Um, our God is faithful and that's what we believe And that at God's timing, in God's timing, he's going to provide the next campus pastor to lead us into another season of ministry here at Royal Oak. But until then, until then, I have an ask for each and every one of you. And that ask is to pray, to pray specifically for a campus pastor, right? To pray, um, not only individually, but with your families and with your life groups, and asking God to send that next person, okay? Um, but having no campus pastor doesn't mean that ministry is not happening here, right? There's 12 short-term mission trips, you know, that are going to be launched in 2022. That's ministry, okay? Um, the, the other things that are happening here next week or two weeks, actually, there's Our women's Bible study launching, right, for the winter. Launching for the winter. Women's Bible study. There's a men's Bible study that's launching later this spring. There are six-month discipleship programs called huddles that are launching for men and women. And for leaders, we have coaching circles that are coming back, right? So there's plenty of ministry happening. God is moving. God is changing hearts. He is reviving people. People are being saved, and they're receiving the Lord Jesus. And this is my favorite, favorite ministry um, most of the year right this what we're going to do in february at the end of february which is to host the warming center okay and if you don't know what the warming center is it is the only the only low barrier shelter for the street homeless during the coldest weeks of the winter in Oakland county so there are about 500,000 people living in our county this is the only option people have okay the only option. And it's not run by the government. It's not run by nonprofits. It's run by churches. It's run by volunteers. It's run by our church family. February 19th through the 27th, we are running it here, The probably the coldest, coldest week of the year. This is, you know, kind of when winter ends, but when we get all those ice storms, this is your opportunity to serve people who have no other means, that this is all us, right? Um, God will move powerfully, and we believe that. So you can sign up in the back at the Connect desk, or you can uh, sign up via computer, via our notes from the weekend. All right? We're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, um, and we're going to pray. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. We sing these songs today in worship of a father whose love we could barely comprehend. But God, I know, I know that you love us and we know that you love us because you have already prepared beforehand the next campus pastor in your timing. And Lord, we thank you for the ability to lift up a prayer like this, that the person that you are preparing for us, that he will come full of your spirit, humble to lead, teachable, and as a good shepherd to encourage your children here at Royal Oak. God, today as we dig into this word of encouragement that you have for us, I ask that you fill each and every single one of us up with your Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit in us can help us identify who we were created to be and help us cling to that identity, God. Because sometimes as the world catches up with us, we lose track of what matters. And in fact, sometimes we we mistakenly place our identities and our hope in the wrong things and those things destroy us. It's not what you intended for your loved children. God, that the things that are transitory in our lives, help us remember that. Help us keep that in perspective. Lord, we, we know you're doing a great work of revival here in our hearts and in our communities. And I ask that you most wonderfully set apart us to be holy for your good work. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So today, I want to talk to those of us who feel like that they're working unsustainably. That feel like you're receiving insufficient rewards compared to the efforts that you put in. Who who feel like they're on the verge of losing total control. And I see you. I see you, mom and dad. I see you, you know, hard employee working 80, 90 hours a week. I see you balancing school full-time, children full-time, being a spouse, being a good spouse, being a good parent. And maybe, maybe you're not quite there yet, but you feel like you don't bounce back as fast as you once did when you were 21, right? You feel cynical towards your job. You feel cynical towards your spouse, to your friends, to your family, even though you are so connected you feel more lonely than ever. There's an emptiness in your heart and your mind and and the 10 a.m. Zoom meetings and the 10 p.m. Zoom meetings, even though your entire team is here in the state of Michigan, is draining you. You're meeting so much, but you're not getting anything out of it. And maybe, maybe that's not you. What describes you is you're sitting there watching people go through these things and these issues and having these problems but you can't help or you won't help. I can't determine which. But the reason you can't is simple, because you're trying to figure out how you're going to make ends meet, because things are very tight for you in money or in budget or time. But the truth of the matter is this. Life is full of trials, and it's hard. That's just what life is. That's what we're told life is. And what, what happens is these things that are so tough, these trials that we face, oftentimes begin to seep in and start defining who we are. And they become part of our identity. This is where James is finding us here in the 21st century in this chapter. Let, let's read it together. James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It says this, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So this book in the Bible, this book of James, it's written to first century Jewish converts living abroad not living in Israel, right? So uh, I want you to understand this. These people that James is writing to specifically, they're a minority group amongst a minority group, okay? The Roman Empire taking over their country and start, you know, sending their people out, sending the Jewish people away so they wouldn't be concentrated in Israel. And so what we find are Jewish people who have converted to Christianity... And their views and their morals and their values are much different than the views and the morals and the perspectives that of the people around them, of the majority. And so it's very timely for us here in the 21st century being Christians whose views are not normative in light of the greater culture around us. And so James calls us misfits and even identifies us as misfits. But being a misfit isn't necessarily a bad thing. It just means we're different. And so what's very timely is this. Because we're misfits, not really a part of the moral majority or any majority in the culture, we're actually here finding ourselves asking, questioning God, why are we facing these trials? Wouldn't it have been easier if we were just the majority people? And unfortunately, that's not the case. And that's exactly how James starts his letter. Look at verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so the reason we suffer trials is to become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And this is the purpose James has for writing this letter to Jewish converts to Christianity. So that when they find themselves in poverty, or if they're chasing prosperity, they can stop and question and ask why. You, you, you see, when, when our faith is shallow, young, and immature, we cling to these things erroneously. We, we seek God and seek the blessings of God in the wrong places and the wrong things. And today, what we're going to do is, what we're going to find James addressing is, what most people find their identity, where most people find their identity in socioeconomic status is not really viable in the long term or really what God intended for us. So let's read James chapter one, verses nine through 11 one more time. It says this, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. You see the dichotomy of poverty and prosperity here highlights an irony. And the irony is supposed to challenge us to help us rethink the role socioeconomic status plays as part of our identity. And, and so there's, there's two very big takeaways for us middle-class Americans in a middle-class church in a middle-class neighborhood, right? That despite all of our middle-class trappings, our identity is not tied to what we are by who we are pursuing, what we're pursuing, and how we do things. In fact, what happens is our identity as Christians is tied to who we believe God redeemed us to be. And so the the big takeaways about this is this, right? The first thing is this. In Christ, poverty doesn't define us. In Christ, poverty doesn't define us. And when, when James says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, he's talking about people living in economic poverty, right? People who have no viable income source and whose social status is so low that there's no means for them to make a viable income source. And I know that's funny and I know that's weird because here in America, all you need is a dream and a hustle to make your dreams and riches come true, to lift yourself out of poverty. That's what we're taught. But what I want to do is, yes, we understand that. And I want to expand The idea of poverty to not just socioeconomic terms, not having the means of money or making money, but to expand it and say, there's another type of poverty that we have to be aware of that's afflicting all of us and afflicting our identity, which is relational poverty. Relational poverty is just that, being poor in relationships. Let me give you an example, just in case you're just like, well, what does that mean? Is that even real? Um, If you cannot find someone to have dinner with tonight who's not obligated to have dinner with you, meaning they're not married to you and they're not your children, then you are in relational poverty, right? Just, just think about it. If you can't find a person tonight that's not married to you or related to you by blood, by obligation to be at dinner tonight, then you're in relational poverty. And the reason you can't find someone is pretty simple, right? If you start thinking about it, it's because they alienate you or you alienate them so you don't get along. And you don't want to spend time with them. Right, right? So economic poverty, even though it's temporary here, right? Relational poverty can become of us, right? That, that can make us who we are. In fact, our greatest heroes, our country, our nation, was founded by a bunch of loners, cowboys, trendsetters, and entrepreneurs. We celebrate them as heroes. They go about it trails blazing alone without the help of anybody And we look at that and say, yes, that's great. But we forget to realize how poor that really makes them. They have no friends. They have no family. They have no one they can call. They have no one to rely on. And that's just a very sad state of affairs. I mean, if COVID shed light on anything, it's that fact that our society crucified relationships in the name of comforts and profits and efficiencies. And we were all fooled. We were all fooled until it came screeching to a halt. We were forced to stop in quarantine. And guess what? That feeling of isolation and loneliness that was once only for the clinically depressed, it applies to all of us. All of us who are relationally poor, living in relational poverty, because we feel the isolation. do, Do you know who this impacts the most? This impacts those of us who are 30 years old and single saying, why am I so alone? It impacts those of us who are finding it harder and harder to be with the spouse that you married because being with them 24 hours a day is not the same. There's so many irreconcilable differences. And it's just driving a wedge apart further and further away. It's for those of us who have jobs that leave us so feeling burned because the superficial relationships that we've once had at the water cooler, it was just masking the fact that it was noise that meant nothing. We don't know who they are, and they know nothing about us, nor do we care to learn. You, you see, th- this, is, this is what's been happening in our country. This has been happening for generations. There, there's a psychiatrist, Dr. Bruce Perry. He's not even Christian, um, and he, he's actually an expert in ch- children in crisis, and he says this about relational poverty in America today. He says, The deep lack of the connectedness with others that we all need to survive. And to be well, caused by technologies, impaired values, financial obsessiveness, broken social structures, and self-centeredness has created a massive problem, far more destructive than economic poverty. You see, when we start thinking about things like that, and when secular psychologists and psychiatrists say things like that, we find ourselves with a problem. And we have to analyze, well, why is there a problem? And the root of the issue is sin, isn't it? When it's all about me, how can we possibly love somebody else? When it's not on my terms, how can we hear other people's terms? How could we even hear God? And so we have this very impoverished relationship with God the Father because we're creating a wedge in our poverty because we feel like that is our identity. But when we accept Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross, It changes our isolated, sinful nature, our identity as being far from God, from being a sinner to a righteous child, loved by an almighty king in heaven, right? This is what happens to us. And so here James says to boast. You of lowly status, you who are so impoverished, you can boast because you have been exalted. We didn't deserve to be exalted. We had no means of exaltation, but Jesus Christ exalts us as a child, as a son, as a daughter of God. We didn't deserve that. And we are adopted into God's household. This is so beautiful and yet so very hard. You you see, the second part of identity as it comes to us in, in relationship to socioeconomic status is that in Christ, prosperity doesn't define us either. Prosperity doesn't define us in Christ. Look at verse 10. In verse 10 it says this, And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of grass, he will pass away. And what James is connecting, this idea that the rich boast in his humiliation. And there's very little for rich people to be humiliated about, right? I mean, James is talking to people who are financially well off, right? But I want to expand that idea of well off because all of us in America are technically well off. But there are areas of our life that we can consider rich. So let let, let me expand that idea and view of rich for all of us here, right? Some of us are rich because we have three kids. You're rich in kids. You may feel broke and poor because they're eating out your refrigerator, but you are rich in kids. Amen. Don't take that for granted. That's good news because there's some people who can't even have a single child. They can't even adopt a dog, right? And this is a problem, right? This is what we stake our identity on. Some of us, we're, we're not rich in family, we're rich in career. We have a great boss, a great job. We work for a great organization. We haven't made a single mistake. We've had profits above and beyond and the bonuses, checks are great and that's awesome, right? You're rich in career. You're rich in connections. You have met the right people and been at the right places. It took you further and further and further and that's such good news. Maybe you're rich in health. You have all the vitamins and supplements. Your body is ready for the beach, even though most of us in Michigan are freezing, right? You you don't have a single ounce of fat. The gym equipment you ordered before COVID got to your house and you can work out, right? That's wonderful. I'm still eating anything that's fried just to keep warm, right? This is good. You're rich in health. That's great. Amen, right? And I mean, but Jesus gives us redeemed identities in our poverty and we're blessed, With health and wealth and possessions, but none of those things gets us into heaven. None of those things makes us righteous before a righteous and holy God. And that's what's humiliating. That not in my one lifetime, let alone 10 lifetimes, could I make myself right before God. There's nothing that I could do, nothing that I can earn, nothing that I can give. And that's humiliating. We have nothing to do with our salvation. And so we reaffirm and take hold of Jesus Christ because it was our humiliation. It was his humiliation that makes us heirs, that makes us righteous. And, and I know what you're thinking. Well, I don't, I don't have prosperity. I don't, that's not something I flaunt. But something we do flaunt is the pursuit of prosperity. And here's what I mean. You might not be chasing money, but guess what? We're chasing something. We all identify ourselves in the pursuit of something. Uh, let, let me give you an example, right? So, you know, I, I'm, I'm your pastor here, right? And so when I wake up in the morning, I, I do my quiet time. I read my Bible verse, right? And I know many of you do the same. You open up your Bible app and then you, you read the one verse that pops plop, forward and, you know, you move on with the next thing in your life, which is your to-do list. Me too. I'm honest, right? I do that. And so guess what? When I don't accomplish the things on my to-do list, that's a failure, I identify with my failure and I take it hard, right? I didn't accomplish the three things that I actually wrote down. That, that's, you know, that, you know, that's DEFCON 5, right? This is, this is not good. This is not good. And so I start identifying myself that way and I start thinking that way. Man, I failed today. God's never called me a failure. That's not what makes me a child of God. But we mistakenly think our pursuit of stuff gives us the blessings and the favor of God, but it never did. And so, you know, we we have political connections, money and kids, and you know what? What we forget to understand is that the scorching heat that James is writing about here, it's going to burn you out because life here, especially in the 21st century, in the midst of the great resignation, is simply stress not being managed, And what I mean by that is if you start thinking about our big problem in life, our identity crisis that our culture is having, it's because we're trying to obtain things and do things that we're never going to work out anyway. Nothing ever meets our expectations, yet we still pursue, hoping that it's going to give us an identity, hoping that it's going to make us whole. And so I know what we do. It's great when we have kids who are making straight A's, so we go on Instagram and Facebook and start comparing, right? Right? And it's great, right? It's great when our kids are ones with straight A's. It's great when we start comparing ourselves to the Joneses and we're, we're doing better than them. But the minute that stops, we, we lose a sense of ourselves. We burn out. We can't take it anymore. The trials become too much because we've been pursuing this thing that wasn't meant to be pursued. And it leaves us bankrupt. And, and that's really the problem. This is where James is saying... Stop putting your identity in things, in possessions. In Christ, that doesn't define us. And so the more we take hold of our identity in Jesus Christ and what God did for us on the cross, the more we can trust him with our life, that he has a purpose for us that does not fade away. The more humbled we are to be in his presence because at the end of any day, success or failure, we are received with great love and adoration. That's beautiful. That is our identity. That is what it looks like to be mature in faith. This is where James is leading us to. James is saying that mature faith puts possessions in their proper place. Mature faith puts possessions in their proper place and what we need to be doing is employing our prosperity or our pursuit of prosperity and not be defined by it. And that's no more evident than in Jesus Christ. Let let, let me read this to you from the Apostle Paul in in the book of Philippians, right? He he writes this to the church in Philippi. He says this in chapter 2. Have this mind amongst yourselves. This is yours in Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, heaven was rightfully his. He had a rich relationship with his father. He did not have to come to this earth to live fulfilled, yet, he humbled himself. He humbled himself, and then he gave his life for people who didn't deserve it, people who didn't even know to ask for it. That was his purpose. When we look at what God the Father did for us, he gave up his most valuable possession, his son. He gave up his very son so that we could be rescued, so that we could be made perfect and complete. And so Jesus' example moves us the same way. You see, whatever trial we may be facing, we're facing in faith that the God of the universe redeemed us, and there's no taking that back. It's not temporal, but eternal. It's forever. When we correctly place our identity in Jesus, our purpose becomes clear. James alludes to this in James chapter 1, verse 27, verse 27. It says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You see that there might be a disconnect in your mind. Well, how does this relate to socioeconomic status in our identity? But, but it's very simple. James is employing a circular logic. Pastor Jacob was sharing what circular logic was last week. But circular logic, just as a recap, is very simple. There's point A, which was related to point B, which is related to point C, which comes all full circle back to point A. And so what we see here in James chapter 1 is James is talking about trials, the trials of life. That's point A. Point B says, well, if you're facing trials, then you should ask for wisdom. Point B. If you're you're asking for wisdom, then point C is then you shouldn't doubt that God will give you wisdom. Right? And those are all good. No, point D is just this. Right? Well, look at your identity. If you have wisdom and if you're facing trials and if you ask God for all of this and God gives it to you, then you should know who you are. And so if you know who you are, you get to verse 27, which is a religion that is pure and undefiled, which is what you practice about what you believe and what you know. That's what religion is. And so a pure and undefiled religion before an all holy God, the perfect father, James says is to visit orphans and widows. And the word visit here is not just to say hi and bye, how are you doing? This is to care for their needs. You see, when James is writing this, he's writing because there's a patriarchal society where orphans and widows, they have no means. There is no meaning, there's no means for them to get out of their plight, out of their poverty. They, they, They have no fathers, they have no husbands. And so James is saying, Look at our perfect Father in heaven. This is what it means to have purpose. This is what it means to be perfect and complete. This is why you're facing trials and this is why you're asking God for wisdom and this is why socioeconomics don't define who you are because in God, you have the perfect father and the perfect father visits orphans and widows and that's a good thing because when they had no ability or means to get out of their plight, our father in heaven provided them a means, provided us a means. And so if our identity is beloved child of God, son and daughter of God, of the most high God, then it is our purpose to visit or to care for people who are disenfranchised like these orphans and widows. And so this is beautiful because this is exactly what the gospel is. This is the gospel. We had no ability, we had no means, and so God provided a means at his own cost. Jesus died on the cross so we wouldn't have to because even if we did, it wouldn't amount to anything. And so if you've never placed your faith in Jesus ever, today is the day that you do so because you have to know that your identity is a redeemed son or a redeemed daughter of God. And that will never change despite what happens, despite where you are in life. And that is such good news for us, right? Give your mind, heart, and soul to him and he will redeem your poverty. He will redeem your prosperity. He will give you a purpose that will never leave you burned, right? And so because we're children of God, we do things like celebrate Sanctity of Life Sunday. We say, go advocate for those with no voice because nobody else will. Because God the Father, that's what he does. And so we do what he does. It's why on Martin Luther King Day Jr. last week, when we put those inserts in your card that simply said serve, we did so because nobody else will. But God did. God did for us. It's why I invite you to serve at our warming center. Because it's the only option for the disenfranchised today in our neighborhoods. And nobody is doing anything about it. But we're called to not because we're smarter than everybody else, not because we're better than anybody else, but because we are cared for the same way by our Father in heaven. You see, we can't pursue prosperity. We can't be defined by our poverty. We are defined and identified as a child of God. Don't forget it. Live into that identity. Live into the purpose that God gives you. Put your whole mind, body, and soul, your whole faith to serve and bless others in love the same way God Loves you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the trials that you have given us. To help us think about life, to rethink what it is that you're calling us to do and be. Because God, we, we know that this the trials that we face, it produces a maturity within us. A maturity to see that when we are steadfast in our identity, which is your child that it's going to produce within us actions, actions that you ask us to take, leaps of faith that you honor. God, the the relational, the economic, the the poverty, the, the prosperity, whatever it is, God, that are so difficult in our lives, God, give us breakthrough. Give us breakthrough and visit us with your spirit because, God, we know that it's only with your spirit that There's an overflow of power, mercy, and grace that will flood into our lives, that changes who we believe we are. Because God, we need to believe that we are your children, God, because the trials are so overwhelming. God, I I know that there's some right now, God, the, the, the couples, God, the spouses, who have just moved so far from each other in this season, God, heal and fix their broken relationships. God, fix it between friends and family, God, that that haven't been talking, God, that are on verge of breaking up. God, let your love be manifested through faith. Father, if there there are those here who, who don't know you, give us the courage to confess our need for you. You adopted us as your son, as your daughter in Jesus. Help us choose you in return. Help us pursue you and only you. Give us a boost of our true identity. Let us move forward to bring good news to the powerless and destitute in your name, for your glory. We boast in you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org/connect to introduce yourself today.